This morning we're just reading some selected passages. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man, no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It just dawned on me that um, if I had planned ahead, I would have had Adam put up a picture of Cicero as one of the wise men. Uh, because Cicero is a Roman philosopher who actually was very wise. And by the way, I'm not concerned that sometimes we quote philosophers or thinkers who are wise as a way of reinforcing the truth concerning God. Nor does it seem, as I'll mention later, that Paul is too concerned about that. Paul is concerned about wisdom at the highest level. And sometimes that wisdom comes from people who might not be Christ followers. So this morning, I set all that to serve this up. I start with a quote, not from the New Testament or from the Proverbs, but from Cicero. He says, let us embrace this principle, that friendship can exist only between two good men. Now that's curious, isn't it? Friendship could only exist between two good men? Why would he say such a thing? Because you know of what you might call wicked friendships. You know of friendships that create havoc in the world. You know of sinister motivations, and those sinister motivations unite people in friendship. So why would Cicero make such a statement? Actually, I think he made a statement that is in large part consistent with the notion of friendship that the Proverbs speaks of. Why? Why? Because if you use a different 
definition of friendship and insert that understanding into Cicero's statement, it makes a little more sense. By the way, Cicero wrote a book about friendship. And this quote that I gave you appears at the beginning of that book, which I read several weeks ago. Here's a definition that will help to reinforce Cicero's statement. And I think this is true of the Proverbs. True friends, according to the Proverbs and this ancient wisdom, do not conspire to do evil. Why? Because to do evil is to harm one's soul. And a true friend will never do anything to harm another friend's soul. That's why Cicero and the Proverbs, I believe, suggest that true friendship cannot be real evil. Because true friendship is truly in the best interest of the other. So I want to divide my comments about friends and neighbors up into three words. The first word is caution. There are a lot of cautions in the Proverbs concerning friendship. You might say cautions against a bad definition of friendship. Here's one caution that comes from Proverbs 18:24. You heard it in the reading. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, there's some great wisdom there, and it begins with this idea. It's not wise or even possible to be friends with everyone. You know that. Why? Because at a basic level, there's not enough of you to go around. To be friends with everyone means you have exhausted your personal energy on everyone you meet. The Proverbs never seem to argue that that notion of friendship ought to be adopted by us. Too many friends, it seems, the Proverbs are suggesting, too many friends reduce the possibility of deep friendship. It's impossible to know the character of everyone. And part of deep friendship is sharing together the character of the other. That becomes clear in the Proverbs as well. Again, a different definition of friendship than we often assume. Here's another proverb. Many a man proclaims his loyalty or claims his unfailing love. But who can find a trustworthy man? In other words, that proverb cautions us this way. It says, I want you to be wary. When you're thinking about friendship, of those people who constantly speak of their own loyalty. It's something that comes out of them so easily. And it actually, actually it might be a smoke screen 
for unfaithfulness, it might be a statement to disguise deceit. The proverb says, be wary of that when you enter into friendships. Because deceptive speech that hides the real purposes. You take a look at the verse right before that, verse 5. Deceptive speech that hides the real purposes will eventually be what it really is. It will emerge. So be careful of those who constantly speak about loyalty. A third proverb that's a warning concerning friendship. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of companion of fools will suffer harm. Let's put the proverb this way. There is something contagious about wisdom, and there's something contagious about foolishness. In other words, if you hang around someone who is wise and you're truly in a friendship with that person, the wisdom that they have will rub off on you. And if you hang around a fool constantly, the foolishness that is at the bottom of their heart will eventually begin to affect you and you too will become a fool. So that's a caution concerning choosing a friend. Another proverb that's a caution, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. We all know hot-tempered people and we shouldn't completely alienate them. But the essence of this proverb is to say, don't make the closest of associations in your heart with someone who cannot control themselves. Because that person will eventually affect you. First of all, that person will eventually explode on you like he explodes on others. And you'll be at the point of his wrath. And second, if you hang out too much, you'll begin to be like him. There's a fourth proverb uh, that I want to categorize under this section called cautions or warnings. And it comes from the New Testament. Just out of curiosity, this is just kind of like fun classroom activity. Does anybody know where this one came from? Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Whoa, I knew Bud would do it. Former navigator over there. He knows his Bible backwards and forwards. 1 Corinthians 15, exactly. It, it's, it's profound. It's Paul speaking great words of wisdom. And as a matter of fact, many scholars think he was quoting a Greek poet. Paul understands wisdom when he sees it. And just as on other occasions, he places that wisdom within the context of the canonical scriptures. You've seen it before in Acts chapter 17 when he quotes a poet in order to make a point. 
It might have been a Greek proverb that everyone was familiar with. But the point is, it's true. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So let me pause for a moment and do what I probably should do more often. But I hesitate to do it. Well, you'll understand. I want to pause and speak to parents. You know why I hesitate to do that, right? Because I am one. And for many of you, you watched my children grow up from the second grade on. And as soon as I give advice concerning parenting, it's inevitable that people think, yeah, but. (laughs) I know your kids. None of us is perfect, but wisdom is wisdom. So parents, here's what I want to say. When I was a child, my mother, particularly my mother, who was full of insight and intuition, just simply wouldn't let me hang out with certain kids. On other occasions, when those kids happened to be very good friends of our family, she was very careful about when we hung out and where we were and who else was there. Actually, first, I want to say thank you, Mom, for your insight. Why? Because at 57 years old, I look back on some of what could have been my friends had my mother allowed it. And I realize what kind of disastrous influence they would have had on me. I didn't have the wisdom when I was eight to understand it. But my parents did. So here's what I want to say to you as parents. Parents... Trust your intuitions, which, if you're following God, largely come from God himself. Trust them. I can't honestly, in my time as a father of children who were Children and under the age of 18, I can never remember a time. It's a pretty startling statement, but I'm going to say it. I can never remember a time where I suspected wrongly. I never remember a time where I suspected wrongly. But I do remember times where I didn't act on my own suspicion, and I regretted it. Parents, you have an intuition concerning your children. Prayerfully follow it. And when you follow those instincts, don't second-guess yourself 
with some Christian notion of kindness. As if to be kind to another means to allow my children to be under the influence of someone else to express kindness. Your children do not have the capacity to be in certain situations, and it is unkind of you to place them unwise as they are because they're children in the context of bad influence and expect that the good influence of your children is going to rub off on the bad. You do not use your children to express kindness. You use yourself. Your children are a gift from God that must be protected. Now, there's going to be a number of you who are going to think I went overboard with those statements, went way outside the text. Fine. I don't regret what I said. The first section was cautions. Cautions concerning friendship. The second section is blessings. Obviously, the blessings of friendship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. You might look at that proverb and see a contrast. Like friends are not near as good as brothers, right? But I don't think that's what's going on there. You could disagree and it wouldn't hurt. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it's one of those parallel things that we talked about in the very first sermon on the Proverbs. There's a parallelism going here. Basically he's saying, a good friend sticks by you. And if you want to know what a good friend is, it's like a brother who can't give you up. Okay? A good friend and a brother, if indeed that friend is good, he will be like family to you. He will be the kind of person who is born for adversity. He will have stepped into your life fully aware of the fact that someday you're going to be caught in the crosshairs of all kinds of terrible evil, and he will not leave your side. That's a friend. That's a friend who's born for adversity. You know your friends, don't you? When, everything's, when everything gets difficult. Then you really realize who they are. A next proverb that speaks concerning the blessing of friendship is better an open rebuke than love concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and deceitful are kisses of an enemy. Can, can you hear that last phrase without thinking of Jesus and Judas? Judas comes to Jesus in the garden and gives him a kiss, a sign of love. Better is an open rebuke from a friend than a kiss from an enemy. As a matter of fact, Both praise and wounds from a friend 
are a blessing. Both praise and wounds from a friend are a blessing. Another proverb, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Kind of comes out of the previous proverb. As a matter of fact, both found in chapter 27 of the book of Proverbs. It's an interesting image, isn't it? You have an object that's iron that needs to be sharpened. It's essential for whatever you're doing. Whether it's plowing the field or being at war or cutting something that's necessary to be cut. The point is, the iron has to be sharp. And you know, you know that something soft cannot sharpen iron. It can't do the trick. You have to have something that's equally as tough as iron to sharpen iron. Whether it's two swords being put together for sharpening or knives or whatever it is. In my garage, I don't have an elaborate workbench, but I do have one piece of equipment that is essential for all kinds of stuff. It's a bench grinder. It is virtually indestructible. It's a wheel that goes around at very high speeds. There's nothing about it that's gentle. As a matter of fact, I have a scar right here because of it. You ought to use gloves, by the way. But I was too young and stupid, so I got my scar. <laughs> I, I sharpened mower blades on it. When I moved to Indiana, I realized that it's a good idea to sharpen shovels with it. They dig better and hose, and on and on. And you know what happens when I sharpen those blades? Sparks fly. If I'm doing it right, they're jumping up and hitting my face. I also should wear goggles, which I never do. But the sparks fly. Because something very harsh is coming in contact with something else, namely iron, and it's sharpening it. That's why this proverb is so profound. If you're in a true relationship with a friend, you've got to be that other hard object. And together, you sharpen one another. If you have a friendship that does not include that, I think, according to the Proverbs, it's not really a true friend. It might be a form of benevolence on your part. It might be an acquaintance. Or it might actually be an enemy. Because true friends sharpen one another. There's another blessing about friendship, and it's this. God calls us 
his friends. We say it so often, we forget the profound nature of the words. God, who is all-sufficient, who is the center of all being, the source of all reality, who needs nothing, that God calls us His friends. Jesus helped His disciples to understand that. And later, of course, helped us to understand it. When He said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know his master's business, but instead, I've called you friends. How amazing is that? At the end of the sermon, which is going to be very quickly, Marietta is going to lead us in a song that you could probably all sing with your eyes closed. If, like me, you could, do it. Sometimes it's more meaningful that way. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. The third word is responsibilities. And here are the responsibilities of friendship. Our responsibility of friendship doesn't just go to intimate friendships. Our responsibility should extend to neighbors. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a wonderful illustration of this. When someone quizzing Jesus says, neighbors? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And you know what the simple definition of a neighbor is in that Good Samaritan parable? It's this. Do good even to those from whom you can gain nothing for doing it. Do good to them. Expecting nothing in return. When we understand the deep, abiding friendship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we embrace it, and we thank God for it. That's appropriate. It's a wonderful thought to be thankful. But it's not enough. That's why Jesus says these words. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. In other words, I've extended this unbelievable love of God to you in my person. Now you extend it to one another. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And of course, we know shortly after that, Jesus became that one. And you're my friends if you do what I command you. I've invited you, says Jesus, into friendship. I've given you everything. And if you want to be my friend, follow me with this thing called friendship.
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. By this, when they look at us and they see our love for one another, our deep friendship, not casual, but our deep friendship that speaks into the life of another, they'll know Christ is here. So practically, how do you do this? It was another one of the epistles, Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Remember what the book of Galatians is about? The book of Galatians is about not earning your salvation through following the law. And then in chapter 6, right down near the end, Jesus says, I want to flip it upside down for a minute. Don't follow the law and expect salvation. That comes by grace through Jesus Christ. Instead, follow Christ. Follow Christ. And love one another as I've loved you. And carry one another's burdens because I carry yours. That's friendship. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that uh, you didn't leave us abandoned. The disciples were worried that you would, and you promised you would not. You said, no, I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. That's what a good friend does. And then you promised to send the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide and to lead us into all truth. So we pray, Lord, you will lead us into the truth of friendship and how we love one another. That you'll give us wisdom to be cautious but you'll help us as we enter into friendship as defined by the Proverbs to experience deep blessing. And often that deep blessing comes because friendship hurts. And then, Lord, when, when we realize that we're following you and it's difficult, help us to remember our responsibility to continue to follow you, to love one another, and to lay down our life for our friends as you laid down your life for us, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.